0: Sanctity of Human Life Sunday is an annual observance on the Sunday that falls the closest to January 22nd. And on Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, we remember the day the United States Supreme Court made its very unfortunate ruling in the case of Roe versus Wade that legalized abortion in all 50 states and has resulted in somewhere around 60 million abortions over the past 46 years. Christians and other pro-life advocates observe Sanctity of Human Life Sunday not only to remember and to mourn, but also to highlight the cause of the pre-born and to reaffirm our commitment to the sanctity of human life from conception to natural death. A few weeks ago, we started a new uh, series on the Sermon on the Mount, and I had originally planned to continue with that series last week by preaching on the next installment from the series, which is Matthew 5, 21 through 26. But as we were leading up to last Sunday, a couple of things happened that persuaded me to to change my plan and to shift my focus and devote the message to life and the cause of the unborn. And, And since last week was canceled due to weather, I'm going to be sharing today what I had planned to share uh, last Sunday. The first thing that happened to cause me to focus on life and the cause of the pre-born is that I started to feel as though the Holy Spirit was impressing upon me to change my plan and address this topic. So for those of you who think that Brian is inflexible on his preaching schedule and won't respond to the Holy Spirit... I present to you this change of plans. <laughs> but it did take an act of God, Stan said. So, And the second thing that happened is I looked back over the past several years and I realized that I had not talked about this topic nearly as much as I thought I had. I thought I had talked about it almost every year with an exception here or there, but that's really not been the case. It's been more like every other year or so. And since it's such an important topic, and with you know both of these things kind of weighing on my mind, I decided that we were going to talk about it, and so I've carried it over to today. Here's another realization that motivated me to talk about this today, and I don't say this to be like unkind or ungracious, but I just think it's something that needs to be said, and that's the realization of how many churches across the United States of America Churches that claim to care about the marginalized and the oppressed. Churches who trumpet their social justice credentials all over their websites and their social media platforms will once again remain silent on the most important moral issue of our time. And I refuse to be that kind of church. And so, the message today... And so the message today is about abortion and the cause of the preborn. And I want to be clear about a few things as we get started. First, I want you to know that I am very aware that this topic is a painful one uh, for some of you. I, I, I am completely clued into that. If you are a woman who has had an abortion, you're a man who supported an abortion decision, or maybe you persuaded an abortion decision, I want you to hear me clearly today. I love you, this church loves you, any real Christian who understands their faith loves you, God loves you. I do hope that you have come to see abortion as wrong. I hope you have come to see it as sinful. I just as much hope that you have found forgiveness and healing in Jesus Christ. For all of you who have come to see the sinfulness of abortion and who have found forgiveness in Jesus, I also hope that you have been set free from condemnation. And if you have not been, then my hope and my prayer is that you would be set free and that you would no longer live under the condemnation of that decision that you made. And so I want you to know that we love you and we are for you. Secondly, I, I want you to understand that I'm going to say some things today that I know are going to be hard to hear. Again, especially for those of you who have been personally impacted by abortion, because I don't plan to sugarcoat things today and I don't plan to use euphemisms. But here's what I'm confident of I am confident that God will both comfort those who have been impacted by abortion and that he will enable you to both affirm what is true about abortion while not being brought under condemnation again. God can do that for you, and I am trusting that God will. He is well able, and for those who have come to him for forgiveness and healing or who will come to him for forgiveness and healing, I am confident he's going to enable that today. I'm going to address three things that I think are important for all Christians to understand and to be able to defend. And each of these three things is an answer to a lie that is told by those who support abortion. And then toward the end, I'm going to be reminding us of a church, of our commitments as a church family to the cause of life and the preborn. And then we're going to introduce to you today a new ministry Uh, that we are starting that supports the cause of life, okay? So that's where we're going in our time together today. The first thing that is so important for everyone to know and to understand is this. The Bible is pro-life. It is clearly, convincingly, and inarguably pro-life. And this needs to be said because it answers a lie that is told by pro-choice advocates. What you will often hear from those who support abortion is the claim that the Bible is either silent on abortion or that the Bible doesn't prohibit abortion. And both of those things are absolute lies. The first thing to know about the Bible as it relates to this topic is that the Bible clearly considers the preborn to be human beings, to be human persons. And the variety of scriptural proofs for this are too long for me to try to cover them all today, so I've just chosen four scriptural proofs to present to you today. And the first three I want to acknowledge come courtesy. Of Randy Alcorn, who, by the way, if you 've never read his book on heaven, you should read it. it's a wonderful book exodus twenty one twenty two through twenty five which we 're going to look at here in a few minutes, provides guidance on what should happen to someone who injures a pregnant woman in a way that impacts the child that she's carrying and here's what I want to note at the outset here is that in that text hebrew or exodus twenty one The Hebrew word for child is the word Yeled. Probably didn't say it right. Something like that. Yeled. In Exodus 21, what you need to know is that Yeled refers to a pre-born child. Interestingly, it's the same word that is generally used throughout the Old Testament to refer to young children teenagers and even young adults here's the point the hebrews did not need a separate word for preborn children because they were considered to be human persons just as much as born children teenagers and young adults you see the same thing in the new testament In Luke 1, 41 and 44, the Greek word brephos is used to reference the pre-born John the Baptist. And then in Luke 2, 12 and 16, that same word is used to describe already born Jesus. For the writers of the New Testament and the Old Testament, a baby is simply a baby whether pre-born or born. The use of both of these words to describe both the preborn and born children is strong evidence that the Bible considers the preborn to be human persons. The writings of David in the 51st Psalm provide powerful evidence for the personhood of the preborn. Here's what David wrote in Psalm 51 5 Surely I was sinful from birth sinful, listen to this, from the time my mother conceived me. David understood his sin nature to predate his birth, and he doesn't say that it, like somewhere in the third trimester, he got his sin nature. He, he extends back nine months before his birth to the moment of his conception, And so according to the divinely inspired writing of David, each person has a sinful nature from the moment of conception. And here's why this is so important. Only an actual person can have a moral nature. Only a human person has a moral nature. Your kidney does not have a moral nature. Either one of them. Your lungs don't have a moral nature. Your liver doesn't have a moral nature. Human parts don't have moral natures. Clumps of cells do not have moral natures. Only an actual human person has a moral nature. And so this understanding that we're sinful from conception teaches us that we are human persons from the moment we are conceived. And then the fourth point, throughout the Bible, to be pregnant is to be with child. You see this in Luke: 131 where conception and giving birth to a child are, are referenced. You see this as well in Luke 2 where Mary is said to be expecting a child? And of course no one is confused by this. We all know that this is true. We know that every wanted pregnancy is announced with the sentence, we're having a baby. We're having a baby. Even pro abortionists do this. It's only when the pregnancy is unwanted that people try, or at least used to try, they really don't even try anymore, but they at least used to try to deny this reality that the preborn is a human baby. So, the Bible is very clear the preborn are human persons. And so, if anyone ever tries to tell you that the Bible is silent on the personhood of the preborn, you now know, if you didn't already, which I hope you did, that they are either horribly misinformed or they are intentionally lying. And I would submit to you that the likelihood is on the latter. So, if the Bible views the preborn as human persons, Why is there not a specific prohibition against abortion in the biblical law? This is another thing you'll hear pro-choice advocates say. They claim that the Bible does not forbid abortion. There is a reason there's no specific prohibition against abortion in the biblical law. And by that I mean that abortion isn't specifically named And you see this throughout the Scriptures. For the Israelites, children were considered a gift. They were highly desired. Just to give you one example, you see it in the story, if you're familiar with it, of Hannah and Samuel. And as you read that story, you see the anguish that Hannah was living with because she had not been able to conceive a child. And so Hannah cries out to God because she is so troubled that she has not been able to have a child. Children were considered a gift. They were highly desired. Psalms tells us that children are a reward from the Lord, a blessing. Here's why there's no specific law against abortion in the biblical law. It is because children were considered a gift, a blessing, highly desired, and because of that, the notion that an Israelite woman would desire an abortion was unthinkable. It's just not something that needed to be said. It was just a completely unnecessary thing to say because it was not something that would even compute to an Israelite woman. And so take just what we've seen so far. And by the way, I've only scratched the surface of the way the Bible affirms the preborn or human persons. But take just what I've shared so far, and we see that the Bible is clearly, convincingly, and inarguably pro-life. Anyone who says the Bible does not have a position on abortion doesn't say anything about abortion, either has not read the Bible or they are lying and the Bible actually does have a law that prohibits abortion abortion is not specifically named but there is a law that prohibits it it is the only law that is needed to clearly and inarguably prohibit abortion Because we've seen that the Bible is clear that the preborn are human persons, the only law needed to prohibit abortion is this one. It is the sixth of the Ten Commandments that are found in Exodus 20. It is this. You shall not murder. When you understand the Bible's view of the preborn that they are human persons, then it becomes clearly, convincingly, and inarguably obvious that this is the only law that is needed to prohibit abortion. The Bible considers the pre-born human persons. It was unthinkable that an Israelite woman would desire an abortion, so a law that specifically named it was unnecessary. And because of the Personhood of the preborn, the law that does prohibit abortion is the sixth commandment. Do not ever allow anyone to get away with claiming that the Bible is silent or that the Bible is neutral or that the Bible is unclear or that the Bible is confusing on the topic of abortion. It simply is not true. Now let's address another lie that's often told by pro-choice advocates. And you find it in Exodus 21, 22 through 25. I want to take the time to read this because uh, pro-choice advocates, like, they, they put a lot of emphasis on this scripture. So I'm going to take just a minute for this. If men are fighting, I'm sorry, if men who are fighting hit a pregnant woman and she gives birth prematurely but there is no serious injury, The offender must be fined whatever the woman's husband demands and the court allows. But if there is serious injury, you are to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. And so what abortion advocates uh, do is they use this verse to try to make the point that the preborn is not really granted personhood in the Bible because they claim that this scenario describes a miscarriage. And that in the case of a miscarriage, only a fine is permissible as punishment for the miscarriage. While injury to the woman is more severely punished. Even your NIV Bible is likely to have a footnote that describes this situation as a miscarriage. But it's a poor interpretation. The proper understanding of this passage is that it's not a miscarriage that's referred to, but a premature birth which is what the text actually says. And that the injury referred to and the punishment for the injury apply equally to both the mother and the child. James Hoffmeyer in Abortion, A Christian Understanding and Response, writes this, Looking at the Old Testament law from a proper cultural and historical context, it is evident that the life of the preborn is put on the same par as a person outside the womb. And John Davis in Abortion and the Christian writes about this specific passage. Far from justifying permissive abortion, it in fact grants the preborn child a status in the eyes of the law equal to the mothers. Don't believe the lies. The Bible is clearly, convincingly, and inarguably pro-life. Not only is the Bible pro life, but science is pro life. Clearly, convincingly, and inarguably pro life. Specifically, the understanding of the preborn that science has brought to us leads a reasonable person to conclude that the preborn are human persons. First, I want you to consider the uniqueness of the human child from the moment of conception. World-renowned geneticist Jerome Lejeune asserts this, To accept the fact that after fertilization has taken place, a new human being has come, to, uh, has come into being is no longer a matter of taste or opinion. The human nature of the human being from conception to old age is not a matter of metaphysical uh, contention. It is plain experimental evidence. From the process of human fertilization by Jones and Schrader, we receive this information. When the sperm penetrates the ovum, the egg reacts in a split second and initiates a mechanism that prevents other sperm from penetrating. The 23 chromosomes of the sperm unite with the 23 chromosomes of the ovum forming a new 46-chromosome cell. After a complex process has occurred within the fertilized egg, some 30 hours after insemination, the first cell division occurs. The initial single cell that is formed is remarkable and unique. Listen carefully. The single cell is already either male or female. It is so unique that never before in the history of the world has the exact human individual existed and never again in history will an individual exactly like this one exist again. The being, Listen to this part. The being is complete. Nothing else, no bits or pieces will be added from this moment until the old man or woman dies. Nothing but oxygen and nutrition. Science informs us of the uniqueness of the new human individual. Science has also informed us of the development of the preborn human being. By about day 21 or 22 after fertilization, the preborn human's heart will begin to beat. Three weeks. A lot of times you don't even realize there's a pregnancy at three weeks. There's already a heartbeat. Before the end of the fifth week, lungs begin to form. By the end of the sixth week, the tiny embryo begins to look like a baby with a large head and eyes, legs and arms with tiny hands and finger buds. At about this same time, about the sixth week, the preborn baby begins reacting to touch. Brain waves are detectable. The ears begin to develop. At eight weeks, the digestive system is functioning. Weeks nine to ten, the baby develops fingernails and toenails. The baby can grasp and sigh and stretch and may occasionally hiccup. Weeks 11 through 14, the gender of the baby is becoming obvious. Taste buds have emerged and thumb sucking may begin listen to this one week 16 through 18 the baby begins having the same response as adults to physical suffering week 16 to 18 reacts to pain eyebrows eyelashes fine hair will appear Weeks 16 to 18, the baby might even be testing his or her voice out. In weeks 20 through 22, the ability to hear will develop. Week 23 is when the baby may be, uh, may be uh, sorry, I can't, can't read, is when the baby may begin to remember music that will calm them after they've been born. So they're hearing it, and they're going to remember that after they're born. It's going to calm them. It's at around week 23 when the baby begins to recognize the mother's voice. May come to like certain foods later in life based on the mother's diet now. At this stage, week 23, babies have been known to react to a mother's mood, becoming inactive when she's sad, bouncing up and down when she laughs. And of course we can we go on and on through all the all the stages of development from the remaining time until birth it's just marked by weight gain strengthening of the systems that are mostly already developed by the end of the second trimester at what point should we say that that's not a human person any and I, I, I want you to get this. Any reasonable person knows that we are talking about a human being from the moment of conception. Science tells us this. Anything else is unreasonable. The uniqueness that science informs us of, the process of fetal development that science informs us of, all affirm the humanity of the preborn for any objectively minded person. And of course, now we live in a time when science and technology are able to show us pictures of the preborn that show us picture evidence that they are human persons. As high resolution fetal sonograms give us a picture of the preborn human, it completely exposes the lie that the preborn are anything other than human beings. If you are not persuaded, I challenge you to do some research. Read about the uniqueness of the human individual from the moment of conception. Pull up a chart with pictures of fetal development and what happens at each week of development. Read about that. Check out the images provided by high-resolution fetal sonograms. Read about these things. And as you do that, remember that abortion is legal during all nine months of pregnancy in the United States right up before the birth of a fully formed child. It's true that New York received, uh, rightfully, a lot of attention this week, and there are some aspects of that case that represent further descent into evil, but, but don't be uh, fooled into thinking that, like, that's never happened before. I, I mean, partial birth abortion did not start in New York this week. This nation has permitted such barbarity for a long time. And it is inexcusable that this is the situation in a country where 75% of its citizens claim to be Christians. It's inexcusable that it continues. And the silence and the moral equivocation of millions of self-professed Christians is complicit in the greatest moral evil in the world today. The Bible is pro-life. Science supports the pro-life position. And here's something else that needs to be said today, another lie that needs to be exposed. And that is that pro-lifers only care about the preborn, and are not concerned with either born children or the women who give birth to them. This is a common charge that is uh, leveled by the forces of evil in our nation. And it is yet another lie. Now, let's be clear, need always outpaces resources. It just does. But the pro-life movement does a lot to serve women and their born children. There are somewhere around 350 residential facilities in the United States for women and their children, their born children, that are operated by pro-life groups. That's a wonderful thing. Never gets any mention. These facilities, as well as pregnancy centers all across the country, offer parenting classes and, of special note, material assistance to women and children post-birth. It is true that there is a woeful lack of fostering and adopting. Now, it does need to be pointed out that that creates no justification for abortion. But it is true that there is a woeful lack of fostering and uh, adopting, and much more needs to be done, but many, many Christian families do step up and foster and or adopt children. In our own church family, the Maringer family serves as a wonderful example of people who, motivated by their love for God and the children that God loves, have fostered and adopted. If you don't mind me sharing, my my brother and his wife Jolene adopted a little boy this past year, and they are yet another example of pro-life people that the pro-choice zealots try to pretend don't exist. More always needs done, but pro-life people absolutely care for women and children post-birth and understand that all life is sacred from conception to. Natural death. Another thing that I think needs to be said uh, in commendation of pro-lifers is this. Pro-lifers don't turn their backs on women and men who make the unfortunate decision to choose abortion. They stand ready and willing to minister the love and the grace of God to the thousands upon thousands of people who later come to regret their abortion decision. So don't believe the lies of the pro-abortionist. The Bible is clearly pro-life. Science is clearly, convincingly, and inarguably pro-life to any objective person. And pro-life people absolutely do care for women and children post-birth. And they do so because they truly believe that all life is sacred. And so I want to wrap this up today by quickly highlighting our commitments to life and the cause of the preborn here at Vineyard Christian Church. Here's the first one we have a commitment to be unabashedly and vocally pro life. We want to be a church that speaks up in defense of the preborn. That's why I am doing what I'm doing today, and I hope that every single one of our members will be committed to vocally speaking in defense of the preborn, by teaching your family the truth, by challenging friends when they confront you with their unbiblical, unscientific viewpoints, by speaking up in favor of legislation that restricts abortion and any other way that God moves upon you and gives you the opportunity to be vocal on this topic. We should not be silent on this topic. Far too many Christians have gone silent on this topic because they've convinced themselves it's a good evangelism strategy to never say anything controversial. It's ridiculous. You can both speak up about injustice and win people to Jesus. Because really, whose responsibility is for the harvest? God. God. He, he brings people's hearts to the place where they're ready to receive Jesus. Not your clever strategy of never saying anything controversial. God does it. All right, that wasn't in my notes. I Sorry for going off track. Here's our second commitment, prayer. Prayer. And maybe I should say these are in no particular order. Prayer. The cause of the preborn should show up in our prayer lives. Pray for hearts to be changed, pray for laws to be changed, Pray for politicians to have the courage to actually legislate according to their convictions. Pray for the Supreme Court to continue trending in a direction that might provide an opportunity for the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Pray for John Kasich to think more clearly than he does currently. Sorry, that also was not in my notes. All right. Our third commitment is that we as a church family provide monthly financial support to two pro-life organizations with very similar names, Heartbeat International and Heartbeats of Licking County. Our monthly contribution is not huge, we, we admit that, but we do send several hundred dollars per month to those organizations. We also participate in Heartbeats of Licking County's annual Bottles for Life campaign, which is one of their major fundraising initiatives. And I think often our efforts there range somewhere between 2000 and $3,000 that we'll raise uh, to help, help them out uh, through that campaign. And then today I'm excited to let you know of a fourth commitment. It's a new ministry that we're starting on February 6th that supports the cause of life. And that is that we are beginning an Embrace Grace group here at Vineyard Christian Church. There is an insert about this in your bulletin. Uh, you, you probably saw it if you make a habit of looking in your bulletin when you come in. Uh, if not, it's in there, and uh, you can, can look at it later, or you're welcome to look at it now. Uh, but Embrace Grace is a group that provides emotional, spiritual, and practical support to single, young, pregnant women who find themselves in an unplanned pregnancy. It's a 12-week program that teaches them about God's love and grace and ends with a baby shower to honor them for choosing life, and then continues to walk alongside them uh, to provide for their baby's needs post-birth. And so we have a video that we want to show you uh, that comes from Embrace Grace uh, that promotes this ministry. Uh, We'll show you that now, and then I'm going to introduce you to the leader of this ministry. We're going to pray over her and then we'll wrap up. So if it's ready, is it ready? Let's watch this. Thank you.